I believe with all my heart as we move closer and closer to the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord that we need to understand that the road to his righteousness begins with obedience. And I thank you for your faith and your faithfulness to God. But the great thing is you will be rewarded forever for what you do for him. And today I want to think about two things. Number one, I want to think about whether we should live for Christ or ourselves. And secondly, can we be reconciled with all that we're doing? We can be reconciled with our God, but can we reconcile that in other ways? You know, I remember Peter, James, and John standing before Gamaliel and, and the Sanhedrin, and, and they told them that no longer should they preach. And Gamaliel stood up and he made this comment. He said, if they're of God, we can't resist them. If they're not of God, they'll collapse. And they kept preaching. The truth that you share in every sort of way, that you communicate by your life and your example, is the sentinel that lets people know that hope is there. And we've got to do that. Now, I believe with all my heart that God gave us his son because he loved us with such a depth of love. But he gave us his son to save us because we are to see him as that example. What did, what did Christ give us in those three years of ministry and that, those 33 years of life that should change us? There's a lot. And I want to think about that this morning. I want to think first and foremost about the significance of our salvation, why that matters. God could have said, well, you know, just sign on the dotted line or agree that you accept the gift of salvation and go out and live the way you want to. I'm going to take you to heaven. He didn't do that. The significance of our salvation is that the world watches us closely. Everything we do and say they watch and they decide whether or not our Lord is real. And it's important for us to understand that. There, there, there are three words used here in this passage that are so significant, and they're very similar in some ways. The word regeneration, redemption, and reconciliation, all three are used here. So I want you to understand what this, this is saying. Regeneration comes from the maternity ward. It means to be born again. And, and we've all stood there at that glass and peeked through at the babies and seen them. And we've made the silly faces and, and tried to get their attention. And I've wondered sometimes, remember, they're born with that, that, that brain that's amazing. I wonder what they're thinking when we're standing there. I've got a little comic at home that a friend of mine who was an OBGYN sent me one time, and the babies were looking at each other, and one of them says to the other one, says, oh my goodness, that isn't my parent acting that way, is it? Imagine if they could see that. Regeneration is like birth, coming out of the maternity ward, knowing that there's something fresh and new in that baby. There's nothing any more special than seeing a newborn baby and seeing that, that life that God has produced. But the reality is we are regenerated when we're saved. We're new. We're new creations. God has taken away what would have destroyed us, and he's given us a new direction. And because of that, we can't simply say, I've got a ticket to heaven. I can live the way I want to. No. No. 
we are changed forevermore and always. The word redemption there comes from an entirely different background. It comes from the slave market. Now, that's a sad and a horrendous thing to think about, slavery. But the reality is, in Jesus' day, there were people that were enslaved, a lot of people. In the Roman Empire, it was very common for people to have slaves. And the word redemption means that you are bought out of the slave market. What God wants us to know is this. Not only are we remade, but we are saved out of a, a life of slavery. A horrible life. An undignified life. A life that will eventually destroy us. A life that offers nothing more than eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you, you shall perish. And God saves us from that. But thirdly, reconciliation. And reconciliation does not come from the maternity ward or from the slave market. It comes from the judicial system. To be reconciled means that everything is straightened out. It, you're right with the person you were wrong with before. You are reconciled before the law. And that's such an important thought because in these three words, we understand something about what God is doing in salvation in our life. It's significant. It's powerful. We're set right. Reconciliation means a changing of places, coming over from one side to the other. It means to cause to conform to a standard. And you know what our standard is? It's not denominational, absolutely not. It's not by a belief system that men have created, but our standard is Jesus Christ. He is the only standard. He's the one that we can read and we can understand, and he will change us. But secondly, we see the statement of our need. Why do we need to be reconciled? We need to be reconciled because of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This world is out of balance. All their value systems are skewed. They don't understand what's right and what's wrong. I, I went back last week for an evening and reread a book that I loved when I was a teenager, 1984. It's a book that scared me, but it, it's a book that, that said something about where the world can go. And when I read that book, it was different this time. It was like reading a story of the world that we live in. And the reality is this. Sin has gotten this world out of balance. There are a lot of wonderful people in this world that think that they can fix everything that's broken. They can fix broken people. And what they do is they gather them together and they'll say, do what we say or you will no longer exist. We know that that's socialism and communism. Fascism says that, that come here and give us what you own and we'll regulate it. And we will cause you to have laws that will make you do what is right. And we will conform you into that. We know all of these systems failed. They don't work. You see, the human choice matters. It matters. Thomas Hobbes, a long time ago, gave us the definition that's so powerful, it's called a social contract. It means that a group of people come together and they agree on something, and in that agreement, they're changed. And when I see that, I think of what we are doing in our relationship with God. 
We come together with God and we admit that we don't know how to save ourselves. Everything we've done has failed. And we recognize the only thing that can save us is God's gift of his son. And in agreeing with that, we do a couple of things. Number one, we surrender. That means we give up trying on our own. But it also means that, that we are restored and reconciled to God, for that's what he wants. The world doesn't conform to God's standard, not at all, because they always want one thing. They want control. You see, the first sin that was ever committed by Lucifer himself was a sin of coveting. He wanted what he couldn't have, and that was God's throne. He wanted to be God. He coveted that. And in fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments or even all of the th several thousand of commandments, you will see a common denominator through all of them, and it's coveting. It's wanting something that you're not entitled to. I've watched parents before when a child would, would venture over and pick up something dangerous like a paring knife or a hammer. And the parents are very quick to take it away from the child to protect that child. But God has given us choice. And we have to choose to follow him. We have to choose to be obedient. The third thing I see here is the standard set by God. To what are we to measure up when we're living our Christian life? What's the standard? God himself the standard is absolute and inflexible. Now, I want you to think about that. In a world where people who, that are inflexible are criticized, God never changes. Now, I want to tell you what a joy that is because we can depend on him to be there for us through any situation. Whatever it is, whatever struggle, whatever storm that may come our way, he is there and he's promised. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those two promises are so powerful because he's saying, number one, I will never walk away from you where I'm not in your presence, where you can't access me, and I will never turn my back on you. I will be there. What a precious promise that is. God reconciled us to one another. He opened the door so we could have a relationship so we could love one another genuinely and freely. God is never out of harmony with those who are righteous. And he wants us to have that kind of relationship. He set that standard. And it still stands. I read this the other day. A preacher wrote this. An elderly man who had pastored for 50 years in Oklahoma... And he said this. Now, hear these words. He said, I first noticed this in leading people to Christ as a young man. They were beautiful before the church broke them in. Great young converts often start out as radiant Christians, but eventually they are pushed to conform and become what he called carbon copy Baptists. You know, one of the things that I appreciate and love about the Baptist faith is that we named our faith after a man who was a maverick. John the Baptist was so out of the norm 
Such an odd bird. He was raised in the wilderness, probably with the people known as the Essenes. He had a different thought about things. But his ear and his heart was in tune with God. He understood fully and totally what God required of him. And, and I believe that sometimes in the church we forget that, that those who don't conform, those nonconformists, are beautiful and they're created by God. Now, I've got to admit, Selma's blessed with people who are different. And we're proud of that and we like it. And different works because God can, can take people and they can have many different personalities and characteristics and, and talents and abilities. And he can yet bring all those together and work his will perfectly. Isn't that wonderful? I'm glad I'm one of those awkward pieces of God's puzzle in Selma. I don't fit the norm. I don't want to fit the norm. I am where God wants me to be. And we've got to realize that, that he set the standard, therefore we must follow. The fourth thing here I see is the species who will enter his kingdom. Who are they? What group will find their way into the kingdom of heaven? Many people will tell me I'm, I'm fearful, although I, I believe I'm saved and, and I think I'm saved. I'm fearful when I get closer to the end that I won't make it in. Well, remember this, salvation is not about purchasing a ticket. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing that you are in right standing with God and you are in communication through the Holy Spirit with him. And knowing that the Son of God, Jesus himself, is communicating our concerns with words that only God knows. I think that's wonderful. Have you ever talked to someone and, and what they said was a little bit confusing and you weren't sure where they were going? The reality is Jesus speaks from our heart to God. And because of that, we're safe. And that relationship makes the difference. As a Christian, we know that we can relate because we're reconciled to God and he reconciles us with individuals. And because of that, we're okay. Now, are we going to sin? Of course we're going to sin. We're sinful creatures in a sinful world. We're going to continue to make mistakes. Hopefully, you're working to avoid those and to overcome those, that your character can become more like Christ. But if you sin... The blood of Jesus that covered all your sins before you accepted that gift will continue to cover your sins because the reality is you won't stand before God fully what he wants you to be until you're in heaven. We call that glorification. And that's a wonderful time because the flesh that, that holds so many of our sins will be separated from our spirit. And we will be there with him. And fifthly, the centuries who proclaim Christ are so important. I use the word century and not one who would, would proclaim for a reason. Because we, number one, stand guard like a soldier over truth in this world. And then, number two, we proclaim it. 
As a soldier of the cross, what we do is we let others know who Jesus is. We are ambassadors of Christ, we are told. A personal representative for God. He has given us a message and a ministry and a mandate, and because of that, we can't step away from that. You're a Christian wherever you go. You know, I can remember when I was a kid, and we would go to Florida from Atlanta. Now, to go to Florida from Atlanta with my father was different. My dad didn't believe in stopping until the car was about to run out of gas. And we had a 56 Bel Air that had a tank. Well, it was gigantic. And we would drive down there and we would be at a point where we'd be almost praying that something would happen, that we would stop. And sometimes that was frustrating. But the reality is this. My dad got us there. And we arrived. When we would go there, my dad would wear something he never wore at home. He had one Hawaiian shirt. It was so old, it was unbelievable. It should have been in a museum. But he would put that on, and he would lounge around the beach. Now, I remember looking at that, and I thought, well, this doesn't look like my dad. But as soon as we went home, he was back to normal the way he always dressed. My dad very seldom moved out of that routine. He helped me understand that a soldier who's standing guard is always on guard. My dad did not leave his character behind when he put on that ugly shirt. His character remained. I can remember sitting in a seafood restaurant that was full of noise and, and people talking, but my dad, very calmly, we all bowed our head, and the blessing was said. And people respected that. He didn't leave his faith behind. God can equip a nobody to become a somebody and can touch anybody through that person. I know that because that's who I am. God planned my life before my birth. I know that. He kept me safe through my birth. And he got me safely through life. Now... God never told me 30 years ago that I'd be in Selma, Alabama because the first thing I'd have to ask is, God, where is Selma, Alabama? I know it's in Alabama, but where is it located? We're off the beaten path. We're not on an interstate. We're not on a rail line anymore that carries passengers. We don't even have bus service to Selma anymore. You know the reality of that? That's our blessing today. That's our blessing. But we continue to serve faithfully and fully. We don't step back. We understand that a soul is so valuable that Jesus died for it. Therefore, we've got to reach out to every soul. We can't overlook that. Let me ask you a question in closing. Do you believe that God can take anyone and change them? and prepare them for something special. Even someone you'd look at and think, oh, they'll never make it. There's no way they can overcome the, you know, the obstacles in life that they, some have created by their own hands, some are dealt because life gives them a bad hand. Some people are so far gone, you wonder if they can ever make it back to God.
Yes, they can do that. Let me tell you the story about somebody. How many of you all know Leslie Lynch King Jr.? Surely you all know Leslie King. Come on now. Everybody's got to know this guy. Leslie Lynch King Jr. was born Monday, July the 14th, 1913 in Omaha, Nebraska. He was born into a family that had problems. His parents separated 16 days after he was born because, frankly, his father did not want any children. And he didn't like the idea of being a dad. And he left. He didn't want to come back. He was frustrated. He didn't like the son that suddenly he had, and he wanted his life to be different. And he left Leslie Lynch King Jr., named after him, behind. Well, thankfully, Leslie had a mother that loved him, and she continued to love him. And one day she met a man, a very special man, named Gerald. And she fell in love with Gerald, and she married him. And Gerald was so good to Leslie. He loved him like he was his own flesh and blood. He encouraged him. He, he taught him to play football and baseball. He encouraged him as he studied at home. And, and Gerald was a paint salesman. He was not an intellectual. He was a paint salesman and, and, and doing the best he could in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But he raised up that boy to be like his own. He loved him so much that he gave him his name. And that's what Christ gives to us. We, we've got his name. God brands us with that. And Gerald gave Leslie his name, his full name, because he was so proud of this son. Yes, you do know him. His name was Gerald Ford. He was our 38th president of the United States. Gerald Ford, who we looked at and thought, surely he grew up among the wealthy and the prominent, was raised by an adopted dad who was a paint salesman. We looked at him and we admired him. He was a, 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 a football star in college and, and he was, he was a, a Boy Scout, an eagle. And he accomplished so much in life. He is the only man that served both as vice president and president, and the Electoral College had nothing to do with it. But he held the country in sway and stability during one of the greatest constitutional crises of, of the history of America. The little boy, Leslie Lynch King Jr., whose father could not stand the thought of him, God created and loved and God had for him a special role in life. Gerald Ford entered a new family and was given a new name. He became a part of a royal line of men who changed the world by his obedience and his leadership. Dear people, your name is greater. You're a child of God. And you walk with the Son of God. Who is your example? How much more should we on this road to a relationship with Christ on Easter, how much more should we celebrate what he's given to us? I pray that we'll do, do that in this day. In this day of stillness and quiet, 
in this day where some people foolishly think toilet paper will save your life, we can stand strong for truth. And God will abide with us. He will not forsake us. And he will use us as a statement of truth that will change everyone we encounter. And may God go with you as you do that. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you give to us words of encouragement and strength, not words of discouragement. And I pray that we will continue to be encouraged by what you've given to us, Lord. Bless us and allow us to be found faithful. Change our hearts. Convict us of, of that sin that we need to root out and get rid of. And may we continue to walk as your son. Lord, we know this. We can't walk as your son walked if we don't understand how he walked. And therefore, we need to get into God's word and find truth. And I pray that this would be a time in this world, in this country, that people would open their Bible and begin to read. If we were to do that, we would understand that there's nothing that can touch us that can destroy us. God will save and preserve us. And if we follow that purpose in life that God has given us, we, we can't fail. We can't fail. So may we have a faith today that is real. And I pray that that decision would be in the hearts of many to trust God and not men. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.